the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. we need to ask ourselves what ungodly influences or habits have I allowed to remain in my life that have robbed me of my peace because we cannot experience the peace of God as long as we are making allowances and tolerating ungodly influences and we need to take inventory of our lives because everybody wants peace but are we really willing to do what it takes to get the peace of the Lord This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Kings. After the death of wicked King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, the entire country longed for peace. However, peace could not be found until the corrupting influence of idolatry was purged from all of Israel. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches us that though many of us yearn and long for peace, we sometimes are not willing to do the hard work of getting rid of the sin in our lives to obtain the peace of God. However, when we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to do His cleansing work in our lives, we can experience the peace of the Lord, which surpasses all understanding. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message, Getting God's Peace. Look further in the chapter, chapter 9, verse 16. Off he goes. He's been anointed now the next king of Israel. And... Um, He's going to carry out the command of the Lord. Verse 16 says, And then he got into his chariot and rode to Jezreel, because Joram, that's the guy in yellow on our chart to the left, was resting there, and Ahaziah, that's the guy in the yellow on the right of the chart, king of Judah had gone down to see him. Now, if you recognize in the family tree here, we're talking about uncle and nephew, right? Because Joram is Ahaziah's uncle. Joram is the brother of Ahaziah's mother. So we have uncle and nephew. Bible told us earlier in the story, I didn't read, that Joram had suffered injury, and so he's resting there. He suffered injury in battle. He's resting, and his nephew Ahaziah comes to visit him. So you have two kings in the same room, and Jehu hears about this. They got both kings in the same room. Might as well go take him down right now. How, how, what an easy target this is. So off he goes, verse 17. And when the lookout standing on the tower in Jezreel saw Jehu's troops approaching, he called out, I see some troops coming. Get a horseman, Joram ordered. Send him to meet them and ask, 
Do you come in peace? Please underline that. That is a key question throughout this story. Do you come in peace? The horseman rode off to meet Jehu and said, This is what the king says, Do you come in peace? What do you have to do with peace, Jehu replied. Fall in behind me. Okay, you get the scene? This guy comes out from the, sent from the palace, the lookout over the palace wall, sees the troops approaching, doesn't know who it is yet. Joram, the king says, send a messenger out, ask who it is and if they come in peace. The messenger approaches Jehu, says, do you come in peace? Jehu says, you don't know anything about peace, bro. You better fall in behind me because there ain't going to be peace where you come from. And so he joins him. Well... Uh, it says in the, in the rest of the sentence there in verse 18, the lookout reported the messenger has reached them, but he isn't coming back. And so the king sent out a second horseman. And when he came to them, he said, this is what the king says. Here's the sentence again. Do you come in peace? Jay replied, what do you have to do with peace? Fall in behind me. And so the lookout reported he has reached them, but he isn't coming back either. And then he says, the driving is like that of Jehu, son of Nimshi. He drives like a madman. The lookout, the lookout's looking at, and he goes, oh, I recognize this guy by the way he drives. This, this guy's from New York. I know this guy. <laughs> this is Jehu. Well, I'm going to hear it after the service. Calm down. This is Jehu. He drives like a madman. All right, so then look, verse 21. Hitch up my chariot, Joram ordered. And when it was hitched up, Joram king of Israel and Ahaziah king of Judah rode out, each in his own chariot to meet Jehu. They met him at the plot of ground that had belonged to Naboth the Jezreelite. Very interesting. We'll come back to that. And when Joram saw Jehu, he asked, here we go again, have you come in peace, Jehu? And he says, how can there be peace, Jehu replied, as long as all the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother, Jezebel, abounds. All right, now, Jezebel. So here we are still talking about Jezebel all these years later. Those of you who were with us in our study through 1 Kings, you remember her. The last time we heard about Jezebel, do you remember the scene? The last time we heard about her was a dispute over the plot of ground, Naboth's vineyard, the very place where they're standing here having this conversation. Back in 1 Kings 21, just to refresh your memory, Ahab, the king of Israel, who was still alive at the time, wanted to purchase a vineyard by the palace from a guy who owned it whose name was Naboth. And Ahab goes up to him and says, I'd really like to buy your vineyard. I, I'd like to have, have a vegetable garden, and it's really close to my palace, and so can I buy your vineyard? Naboth says, with all due respect, King Ahab, this vineyard has been in my family for many years. It's not for sale. No, thank you. Ahab goes home, and he pouts, and he's crying on the royal sofa. And, and Jezebel's wife walks in, and again, as I said back in 1 Kings, I picture her as a very gruff, heavy smoker, all right? <laughs> And so she comes, kind of like, if you ever saw Monsters, Inc., have you ever saw that movie, Monsters, Inc.? You remember Roz? Remember Roz in that? So she comes in to her husband, Ahab, and she's like, what are you doing on the bed? You know, sulking and crying. You call yourself a king. What's that? 
So anyway, so she has this conversation. Ahab's like, well, I wanted to go buy this vineyard and Naboth wouldn't sell it to me. And I don't know what I'm going to do. And she's like, I'll take it from here. And so she sends a letter on royal stationery to the elders of Jezreel where Naboth lived, accusing Naboth, falsely accusing him of things, hires a couple of false witnesses who will substantiate the royal claims. The elders end up believing it, hauling Naboth off to the city gate and stoning him to death killing him and then Jezebel goes back to Ahab and says funny thing happened to Naboth he suddenly fell upon hard times I don't know how to explain it but he's gone now the the vineyard is yours Ahab gets up he's all happy thanks mom you know and and then he and he takes the vineyard and he plants his little vegetable garden that's the last we heard of Jezebel until now this scene now what happens here is Jehu then basically says to Joram, I haven't really come in peace. Joram takes off, and then Jehu takes a bow and arrow and fling, and the arrow strikes Joram in the back between the shoulder blades, and he dies. And then he goes after Ahaziah. He injures him, but Ahaziah escapes to Megiddo, where he ends up dying. So now both the king of Israel and both the king of Judah are are dead, the descendants of Ahab. But Jezebel is still alive, so he still has to take care of her. So off he goes to get Jezebel. So if you'll pick up the rest of the story now, verse 30. Here in chapter 9, still verse 30. It says, And then Jehu went to Jezreel. And when Jezebel heard about it, she painted her eyes, arranged her hair, and looked out of a window. As Jehu entered the gate, she asked, Have you come in... Oh, I shouldn't keep doing that. All right. <laughs> but here's the question again. Have you come in peace, Zimri? You murderer of your master. He looked up at the window and called out, Who is on my side? Who? And two or three eunuchs looked down at him. Throw her down, Jehu said. So they threw her down, and some of her blood spattered the wall and the horses as they trampled her underfoot. And Jehu went in and ate and drank. Take care of that cursed woman, he said, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. But when they went out to bury her, they found nothing except her skull her feet, and her hands. They went back and told Jehu, who said, This is the word of the Lord that he spoke through his servant Elijah the Tishbite. On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's body will be like refuse on the ground in the plot of Jezreel, so that no one will be able to say, This is Jezebel. Wow. A brutal end to a very brutal woman. So we have this scene here where Jehu goes and there's this, you know, this palace area there where, you know, Jezebel is still, she's a a retired queen. And so it says that as he's coming towards her, she dolls herself up. She puts on the eyeliner, she gets, she paints the eyes and the face and she gets the hair all primped and she's all ready. And she's there looking her best at the window as Jehu comes. Now, some Bible commentaries say And it is true that because Jezebel had a very seductive spirit, there was sexual immorality associated with her. Some say that she was dolling herself up because she wanted to seduce Jehu so that he wouldn't kill her. Try to seduce her, try to seduce him, and then she would save her life. But, you know, I don't don't buy into that because, you know, if if that's her motive, if she's trying to seduce him, she, she asks him something that is not very seductive, okay? She says to him, have you come in peace, Zimri, you murderer of your master? then that's not going to win him over, right? Well, Zimri was the fifth king of Israel who became king because he killed the fourth king of Israel. She's insulting him. What it tells us, though, is that word has gotten to her. 
that Jehu has killed Joram and Ahaziah. So she associates him with Zimri. Oh, you're just like Zimri, the guy who killed the fourth king of Israel because you want to make yourself king. Is that why you've come, you come in peace, Zimri, you murderer? He's not trying to seduce him. I think quite honestly. She, she knows she's going to die today. She just wants to make herself look pretty because she knows she's going down. Might as well look pretty on your way out. She, know, she knows the caretakers aren't going to make her look good and throw in her casket and make her look like a clown. So she might as well look herself, make herself look pretty. So there she is at the window. And Jehu says, he sees the eunuchs who then come to the window because he says, is anybody else on my side? And two or three eunuchs has come up at the window next to Jezebel. Now, it was typical in this day that males who worked in the palace were castrated. They were made eunuchs so that there was never a chance that the queen would sleep with one of the male attendants in the palace, become pregnant, and thereby corrupting the royal seed. So it was very common for men to be made eunuchs if you served the queen. And here these, these three eunuchs come to the window there, and Jehu said, you know, is anybody else on my side? And he looks at the eunuchs and he says, throw her down. And the eunuchs say, we will do it. <laughs> I'm so sad. I am just so sad. I know. That was very unique humor. But anyway, uh, but so uh, here we go. So here's the scene. Uh, my wife, I don't, I don't even remember where we were the other day, but my wife got asked a question, and um, I forget who asked it, but she said, um, does your husband ever say anything from the pulpit that makes you cringe? I answered for her. I said, all the time. And she just kind of nodded. Anyway, so there's one on the cringe list. But here we go. So, so now, Joram is dead. Ahaziah is dead. Jezebel is dead. What a brutal death, too, she suffers. Uh, Jehu, after she falls from the, his throne from the window, he goes in. He says, I'm hungry. He goes in and he eats and he drinks, the Bible says. And he turns to some attendants and he says, go in and go out and bury her. After all, she was the daughter of the king, kings of the Sidonians. Give her a respectful burial. They went out to bury her, though, and all that was left was her skull and her hands and her feet. Dogs had come and had ravaged her body and hauled it off. And so that's all that was left. And it was a fulfillment of the judgment of God, spoken of by Elijah the Tishbite that this would be the tragic end of Jezebel for her wickedness and idolatry and immorality. But I want you to notice in this story, and here's what I want to key in on in the last few minutes we have left here. I want you to notice in this story how everybody was concerned about peace. Everybody wanted peace. The first messenger comes out to Jehu as he's approaching the palace. The question is, do you come in peace? Jehu says, what do you know about peace? Fall in behind me. Second messenger comes out. Do you come in peace? What do you know about peace? Fall in behind me. Then Joram and Ahaziah themselves come out, ask the same thing. Do you come in peace? Then when he goes to fulfill the order of the Lord concerning Jezebel, first thing she asks, do you come in peace? Everybody is concerned about peace. I'm concerned about peace. I want peace. I want peace in my life. Anybody else want peace in your life? I love peace. How about you? You want to see peace in your life? Nobody wants strife, okay? I've never met a person ever who says, you know, I just want a little more strife in my life. <laughs> Everybody wants peace. The question is, are we willing to do what it takes to get it? Because when Jehu is continually asked this question, he responds, please notice again, verse 22. 
And I encourage you to underline it, highlight it in your Bibles, your electronic Bibles. Verse 22, he says, How can there be peace as long as all the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel abound? In other words, everybody wants peace, yeah, but the ungodly influence of Jezebel still abounds. You can't have peace as long as that ungodly influence is here. Now, don't anybody take this to an extreme, what I'm about to say, okay? Don't go killing people that are ungodly influence, okay? This is a unique thing that happened in order of God to Jehu, the king of Israel. But in principle, we need to ask ourselves, not just concerning others, but concerning ourselves. How can there be peace in our lives if fill-in-the-blank is allowed to abound? In other words, we need to ask ourselves, what ungodly influences or habits have I allowed to remain in my life that have robbed me of my peace? Because we cannot experience the peace of God as long as we are making allowances and tolerating ungodly influences. And we need to take inventory of our lives because everybody wants peace, but are we really willing to do what it takes to get the peace of the Lord? Some of us need to look at our lives and think that there, there are probably a few friends we need to lose. There might be a relationship or two that we need to sever. There might be some places we need to stop going. There, not be, there might be some, some things we need to stop doing. There might be some ungodly habits that need to cease in our lives. There needs to be the willingness to uproot ungodly influences and habits in our lives that rob us of our peace. Because here's the thing. For example, everybody would say, you know, I want peace in my marriage. Sure we do. But are you willing to uproot certain things? Because you can say, I want peace in your marriage, but are you flirting with a coworker? Or have you reestablished contact through Facebook? I'm just curious about an old boyfriend or an old girlfriend. Are you as a wife gossiping with other wives about your husbands instead of praying for them? Are you as a husband looking at pornography instead of being captivated with your wife? Because we can talk about wanting peace all day long, but if we're not willing to uproot those ungodly things in our lives, we're never going to be able to lay claim to peace. Well, I want peace in my home. Well, sure, we all do. But do you let your kids watch whatever they jolly well want on cable? And are they listening to whatever they want in their earbuds? And does dad, you know, throw the F-bomb every once in a while? And does mom lose her temper? Because if, if you're not willing to uproot those things, you're not going to experience peace. Well, I want peace on the job. Sure, we all do. But do you disrespect authority? Do you backstab coworkers? Do you show up late and leave early? You see where I'm going with this? The idea is we all want peace. But if we're not willing to uproot those ungodly things in our lives, the influences in our own habits, we're never going to really experience peace. Six quick things about how do we get God's peace. That's the first one. I'm going to just run through the list really quickly. Here's the first one. Real peace comes from uprooting ungodly influences or habits in our lives. That's the main point of this story. Israel and Judah will never experience peace as long as the ungodly influence allows to remain. Psalm 34, 14 says, Turn from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. There has to be a turning from evil and a seeking of peace. Number two, real peace comes from Jesus and knowing Him. 
John 14, 27, Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus said, The ultimate peace that I offer comes from me and is different from what the world offers. The world does offer peace, by the way, okay? But it is non-sustainable and circumstantial. The world's system of peace means that as long as everything is going well, you'll have peace. When it's not, it's very circumstantial, it's non-sustainable. But with Jesus, you see, you can have peace even when everything else is chaotic. Because the peace that comes through Jesus is sustainable and is eternal. Number three, real peace comes from loving God's Word. This is a great verse out of Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. You want more peace in your life? Get into God's Word more. Study it. Read it. Allow it to minister to your heart. Because great peace have they who love God's law. Number four, real peace comes from trusting the Lord. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is, King James says, stayed on thee. The one who focuses on the Lord and trusts in, trusting in the Lord is the rest of that verse. The one who is focused on the Lord, trusting in him, thou hast kept in perfect peace. Him whose mind is stayed on the Lord because he trusts in the Lord. Number five, real peace comes from living a righteous life. Isaiah 48, 17 to 18 says, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the ways you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, listen to this, your peace would have been like a river. God promises that if you obey my commands and if you live a right life, my peace will be like a river that will overwhelm you. And then finally, number six, real peace comes from praying. And this is a great verse in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the invitation there is to pray. If we beseech the Lord, get on our faces before God, pray, petition Him, supplication and prayers, just different terms for, for praying to the Lord with thanksgiving, okay? Not just a, a gripe session with God, but thank you, Lord, for all your many blessings, but you know what's stirring my heart. You know what I'm anxious about, fearful about, concerned about. Pray and the peace that passes all understanding. In other words, there will be times when it won't make sense that you should have such peace as you do. But that's the kind of peace that comes with God. Because there will be times when your life will just be, it's like bombs exploding all around you, and yet people will look at you and they will see this steady, calm assurance, this peace that comes over you. It won't make sense. It passes understanding, and it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray. Now, obviously... The reason we can even talk about this subject is because the one who offers this is, in fact, himself, the Prince of Peace. Your Christmas cards are adorned with it from Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, 
And unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Peace. And of the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. Because there is no shortage of peace with God. We're glad you joined us today as we follow Israel's tumultuous history in the book of 2 Kings. We continue to discover important passages such as Elijah passing on the mantle of prophecy and leadership to Elisha and see God continue mighty works through his prophet. Great and wondrous signs were done in this time, and yet the kings of Israel and Judah did not do right in the eyes of the Lord. Their disobedience has resulted in invasion, defeat, and exile. Even there, God showed up, remaining faithful to His people and not allowing them to be completely destroyed. We love walking through the story of God's people with you and would love to connect with you even more. We meet together every Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. But if you can't join us there, feel free to sign up for our podcast or download our mobile app. You'll find links to both of these online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also find additional resources to help you in your own study of the Word, as well as more information about Cornerstone Connection. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you tune in again as Pastor Gary continues to teach through 2 Kings on the next edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not a Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.